Hello, and welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your host, Casper. Also, I'm really sorry about breathing. <sighs> and I'm your other host, Becky Gremlin. <sighs> and we're here to bring you spooky things on Wednesdays, because why? No. Wednesdays are for podcasts. Yeah, we're just we're just really exhausted and tired over here. Y'all been moving vowels all day. I'm fucking hurting. <laughs> I'm in, I am in pain. <laughs> Yeah, so as many of you may know or don't know, Casper has a new job now, and it is more of a physical job, and... Well, it's both physical and not physical, because I'm doing data entry, but I'm also helping pull valve orders, and valves are heavy as fuck. Especially six-inch valves. Fuck those things. Right. They're at least 100 pounds. No, I did not move them on my own. <laughs> my yeah, boss before, helped me. before we start getting comments like, uh, body mechanics, I don't do that, no, 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 no. Yeah, we got it. Um, my boss helped me, so no, it's, it's all good. Yes, but it's a good Wednesday. Um, kind of a sad, kind of a sad one today though, but one that I'm really glad we've gotten a chance to do because the haunting is really popular. A lot of people in and around the area that have happened know a lot about it, but I don't think a lot of people know the history behind the actual woman herself. So um, this one is about Peg Entwistle, I believe is how it's pronounced, and uh, the infamous haunting of the Hollywood sign, and specifically the H on the Hollywood sign that is in Hollywood Hills, California, U.S. of A. Um, Also, just to let you guys know, to keep you on your toes the whole episode, we have a surprise at the end of the episode. For next week. And we can't wait to share it with you. So that's a bit of good news. Um, Yes. Yeah, this is just kind of a somber one. uh, Because it's a sad story. um, But it does involve a really famous haunting. Um, But it's also got a local connection. Um, And it's her birthday today. Yes. It is actually her birthday today. Born in 1908. So she would be 112. So even if she would not have committed suicide, she pretty sure she wouldn't be alive today. But um, she's actually buried here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, so it's kind of an interesting story because I had known about the haunting, but then didn't find out until about three years ago that she was actually buried here. And it was actually because of the Ghost Adventures episode, which only mentioned her briefly. But uh, when I looked up her name... And saw that she saw the cemetery she was buried at. I was like, holy shit, I know exactly where that is. So um, I have been before. And now that I know where it is, I'm going to try to make a point to go um, as often as possible. And uh, that's where the picture came from today. That was she had went on Tuesday. Was it yesterday? Yeah, you went? Tuesday. Yeah. Yesterday. And she uh, put flowers on her <clears> grave. <throat> that that was actually like Becky took that picture. Yeah. So that was not one of the exclusives I found online, or that was not a photo I found online. That was an exclusive that Becky actually took, which is insane to think about. Honestly, the fact that she's buried over here, and I don't think a lot of people know that. Uh, yeah. So, like I said, it's it's a somber story, but. Um, She's got a pretty interesting background. Um, a lot of things that kind of tie in with uh, other actors. Because she was actually an actress, Peg Entwistle was. She was an actress. Um, 
and we'll get into all the ties with Cincinnati and whatnot and ties in with other actors and actresses in her time. Um, yeah, she was only 24 years old, guys. This was like really crazy that she was so young um, to make a decision to decide to not only kill yourself, but like kill yourself in such a way. So if you guys are familiar with, just to kind of give you a little background, um, the Hollywood sign is actually in a really well-known area in uh, the Los Angeles metropolitan area known as it's in a park called Griffith Park. Um, A lot of you who have maybe seen movies filmed there or like I said, are from that area know all about Griffith Park. It's a really, really popular park. Um, And in that park lie the Hollywood Hills, which was originally like a land development and the Hollywood sign was originally, it originally said Hollywood land. And what the sign was supposed to be, all the sign was supposed to be was a big promotional sign to uh, basically for land development in that area. It was just to attract people to move to the Hollywood Hills. So they put this giant Hollywood land sign up. And now it just says Hollywood. But um, to give you an idea, those letters are 45 feet tall. And Well, they're as tall as me, so they, go- should be, <laughs> they should be thankful they're they that tall. They should be like, like, you don't even know how I fit in this building. Like, I can fucking kick one over. So tall right now. <laughs> um, so, like, to climb all the way up, like, you can't get... Okay, so first of all, nobody can get up there now. Like, there are fences and cameras and security everywhere. So, like, good fucking luck even trying to... I mean, a few people have, like, tried to deface them and they find a way. But, like, good fucking luck of trying to actually, like, climb up those letters. Like, no, it's not going to happen. But um, to climb up 45 feet and then... It's just on a drop off too. So it's not like you look down and there's like it's like on a on a cliff too in this park. Pretty so, rough cliff from what I saw. Yeah. So I mean, that's I've just always thought like killing yourself in a way like that, like that's a Yeah, cuz that's it. I mean, like that's it. Like that's it. Like you're you're yeah. you're done. There's no coming back from that at all, but um Going along, like, going into the circumstances that surrounded her death is is pretty crazy. Um, so I'm going to go into her early life a little bit first, because I want to tie in uh, parts about, like, her mom and her dad and that kind of thing, like, going back into more of her family history. Uh, Peg is actually a nickname. She was born uh, Millicent Lillian Entwistle. In Port Talbot, Gallimorgan, Wales. Um, So she's actually Welsh. Uh, Her parents were both English. Her father, Robert Sims Entwistle, who was an actor, and her mother, Emily Entwistle, maiden name was Stevenson. Um, She spent most of her life in London. Uh, 
and it is often reported that her mom died when she was very young, but there has been no documented evidence supporting this. Uh, there was a last will and testament by the Entwistle family in which her father, Robert, stated on December 15th of 1922 that Millicent Lillian Entwistle is the daughter of my first wife, which would have been Emily, whom I divorced, this is all Robert stating this, and the custody of my said daughter was awarded to me. I do not desire my said daughter to be at, at any time in the custody or control of her said mother. So I looked into a little bit of Peg's family history. Um, regarding her mother, there really wasn't anything at all that I could find. Um, her father remarried a woman by the name of, uh, and I, I think I'm pronouncing this right, it's spelled L-A-U-R-I-T-T-A. He remarried a woman, or I'm sorry, L-A-U-R-E-T-T-A is how it's spelled on her gravestone. He remarried a woman named Larita Ross, maiden name Ross, and uh, she died in 1921 uh, not more than a year before Robert died. So, and at that time when Robert died, Peg was only 15 years old. So somewhere in between he had divorced Peg's mother, but I don't know if that happened when she was very young or how long in between, but at some point he did remarry this Loretta woman. And that's, this is where the connection to Cincinnati happens because even though he's English and she was born in Wales, um, they actually moved at some point back to Cincinnati. They were moving back and forth between Cincinnati and New York. They moved from, I'm sorry, they moved from England to New York and then were back and forth between New York and Cincinnati in 1913. So somewhere in between that time, he met Larita, who was born in Kentucky, but her family is from Cincinnati. And he had two more children by Larita, two boys named Milton and Robert. Uh, Milton lived until 2018 and Robert lived until 2004. These would have been Peg's younger half-brothers. Um... One of them is buried in California. I'm not sure where the other one is buried. Now, what's interestingly enough is Peg was cremated. Her ashes were brought back to Cincinnati where she's buried next to her father. And next to her father, Lorita is buried, which would have been Peg's stepmother. And then on the other side of uh Robert and Peg were are buried Lorita's parents so what would have been Robert's in-laws so there's a big gravestone in the cemetery in Cincinnati that says Ross which would have been Lorita's maiden name so I'm I've come to believe that that was her family's plot so that when Robert died a year after she died it was to have Robert buried next to her. Then Peg was buried next to him. And then her parents 
had already since passed. So that was their family plot where they were buried. So that, that actually, I just discovered all that recently because even previously visiting the grave, I, I didn't know who Loretta was. I didn't know that connection. I didn't know if that was her mother. Um, it's been stated in some places that that is her mother. That is not, Loretta was not her mother. And I couldn't find any information on whether or not her and Loretta had any type of relationship. Because like I said, she was very young, obviously, when her biological mother died, but only 15 years old when her father died. Um, so her dad was also an actor. And uh, he was in several Broadway plays in New York City. Um, so that's why he didn't stay permanently in Cincinnati, even though his wife was from, second wife was from here. Um, he died in December of 1922. He was the victim of a hit and run accident on Park Avenue and 72nd Street in New York City. Uh, so basically a car hit him, ran and killed him. It's awful. So Peg and her two younger half-brothers that I mentioned, Milton and Robert, were taken in by an uncle who came with them to New York and was the manager of another Broadway actor who Robert knew. Um, and then again, like I mentioned, under the request of... Now, this was actually the request of not his brother, but uh, Lorita's brother, so his brother-in-law. It was by the request of him that Robert's body be sent back from New York to Cincinnati to be buried next to her. So that's how that came to be. Um, but... Within three years of that time, so by this time, Peg would have been 18, she was living in Boston and studying herself to become an actress. Um, she was a student under Henry Jewett uh, Repertory, which is actually now the Huntington Theater. She was one of the Henry Jewett players at the time, gained national attention in and around Boston, Massachusetts. And um, Walter Hampton, which was the actor that uh, her father knew, gave her an uncredited walk-on part in a Broadway production of Hamlet. Um, now, this was pretty important because this starred, at the time, Ethel Barrymore, who anybody who knows the Barrymore name, I mean, we all know Drew Barrymore. And, What's your uh, favorite scary movie? God, love her. Always, it will always come back around to screen no matter what she does because <laughs> it was incredible <laughs> she was in screen for a total of 10 minutes it, it was the best it was the best it will always come back around to that but yeah the barrymore family has literally been acting since the early 1900s so drew barrymore along with her father grandfather i mean the list goes on and on and on and on, and on to how big of a hollywood acting family that is um so uh this yeah, is don't you love that how many fucking time. movies that Drew Barrymore is in and then we're just like scream 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 is like it Kevin, will always it's always the one I remember scream I mean, is always, like Kevin Bacon it's like have when you're trying to connect something scream is always there and it always works because it it comes back around to so many people and you it got really four movies to work on so you've just you got always, four movies some, with people Lucy Hale always comes back around. In Scream 4. Kristen Bell is in Scream 4. I was like, 
Whoa, Kristen, Kristen Bell, Bell is, is in Scream 4. 4. <laughs> okay, guys, so apparently I need to watch Scream 4 again. She but, wasn't in it for that long. Because I'm over here like, wait, Kristen Bell was in Scream 4. She wasn't in it for that long, but she was in one of the, when you think it's actually the movie and it's not. <laughs> oh, stab. It's like the Screamception thing that they do at the beginning. That's stab. Yeah. This is Stab 6, Stab... Well, what, still, what was Stab 4? Which still cracks me up to this day that that was the original working title of Scream. Stab. Was Stab. Stab. So then they turned Stab into the fake movie in Scream. Love it. If you don't like Scream... Just... Uh, turn off this podcast right now. <laughs> if you don't like Scream, we don't like you. Yeah, we don't. I scream for Scream. Um, my parents are gonna kill me <laughs> my mom and dad you hit me with the phone dick <laughs> oh my god I love that movie and I love Matthew Lillard he's amazing my mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me that whole part <laughs> Or he was like screaming at her and he's like getting like really into it and he's like spitting. He's like spit. How much spit did Nev Campbell get in her face in that moment? God said like all this spit <laughs> She's probably like flying out of Matthew Lillard's mouth. Oh my god. Okay. I can imagine like her getting a ma- a face mask and being like, Okay, now I'm ready. Okay. okay. You're spitting all okay. over me. A shield and a poncho <laughs> and a rain. Also, can we talk about the fact that every single spring, spring, yes, every single scream has the same three: Courtney Cox, but I must have Patricia Arquette. I know, no, no. It's because I was thinking of Arquette, and I was like Patricia Arquette. You're like, like, there's so many. David, Arquette, David, David, and Nev Campbell are always in it. And that just, if you're even thinking about making another scream, those three have to be in it. Or we just cannot. not. Oh, there's talk. I've told you about that. There's talk of a scream five and there's talk of those three coming back. So I'm okay with it as long as it's them three. Anyway, I just, I can't make a decision on how I feel about that it's more of a, if those three, if Nev Campbell especially isn't in it, fuck it. I'm oh, not, yeah, 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 no. yeah. No, 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 no. She is yeah. Scream? No. That she I is agree Scream. I 110% there with that. Um, anyway. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I love it, though, because it had to get it in that part. Um, I'm going to read this part real quick, and then I'll let you get into uh, when she was recruited by the New York Theater Guild. Um, she starred in a production of a play called The Wild Duck. Uh, Betty Davis, who is still, who is just one of my favorite golden age actresses. Betty Davis. Um, love it. Uh, if you guys have, oh my God, whatever happened to baby Jane is an incredible psychological thriller and it's a black and white film. I mean, I know how some of these young kids are fucking black and white films, but that, that movie set the bar. And it's so good. And it's like right at the like the tail end of her career and Joan Crawford's career. And it's just a masterpiece of a film. And it is really fucked up. In a time, in a time 
a time in a movie that just in a time where you didn't think a movie like that could exist. What year it was, was it? Absolutely made? perfect. Um, whoo, I'm sorry, not to like. No, you're fine because it was like I said, it was toward the end of 1962. Psycho was made in 1960, right? Yeah. So I was just wondering because I was like, Psycho, I feel like was like the king of psychological. Well, I mean, it was, but this was all this was but also saying, a female-led like, was that, cast. Was that afterwards? So, like, people like, ooh, let's make a psychological movie where they were like, I, I don't even look at them in the same form. I, I feel like what the biggest difference with whatever happened to Baby Jane is it. It's a completely female-led cast. I like that. Y'all, I haven't seen this, so like I need to the watch. The protagonist in the movie is a woman, and. It just, you you did not, you saw nothing like that at that time. Like, you had Psycho, but this was something off the rails. Completely different. I want to watch it right yeah, now. Yeah, it's a great Hey guys, I'm going to go. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> I have to go. I have to watch this Becky, like you can finish. right now at this moment. <laughs> um, but uh, what a lot of people may not know is that Peg Entwistle was a huge, huge inspiration in Betty Davis deciding at a very young age that she wanted to become an actress. She was so impressed with Peg Entwistle's performance uh, in that particular play that she started following her career. And then um, later on, another Broadway actress by the name of Blanche Yurka sent a note to Betty Davis asking her if she would like to play this main character by the name of Hedvig. Uh, and Davis sent word back that ever since she had seen Entwistle in The Wild Duck, she knew that she would someday play the same character. Through the years, Davis has said that Entwistle was her inspiration to take up acting. So, uh, and Everybody yeah. knows Betty Davis. Like, I feel like everybody knows Betty Yeah, Davis. everybody knows that name. Everybody can name, you know, if she's a fan. You at least know the song. If you're a fan of hers, you will know, you could pick a certain movie that you were a fan of. And that that biopic that they did uh, a couple years back, the makers of American Horror Story did about her and Joan Crawford was just absolutely incredible. It was really spot on and well done. But yeah, he, seeing... Peg and Whistle in a play led Betty Davis to wanting to not only become an actress, but then later play that exact same character in the same play years later. And she just became such a huge fan of hers that she actually was a huge inspiration to getting her into acting. So I feel like that in itself, I almost wonder if Peg ever knew that. Like, I, I just, I feel like someone who would have had such an up and coming career and was really at that momentum of having a big up-and-coming career like if only she knew the inspiration that she gave to one of the biggest 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 hollywood actresses ever known so yeah i just always thought that story was was really 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 interesting so um, did you, you want, want to take me? over? Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah, you're fine. <clears throat> so by 1926, Entwistle had been recruited by the New York Theater Guild, and her first credited Broadway performance in June of that year was Martha in The Man from Toronto, which opened at the Selwyn Theater and ran for 28 performances. Whew. Entwistle performed in 10, pro- 
10 Broadway plays as a member of the Theater Guild between that 26 and 30. not coming out. And the pro <laughs> Between 1926 and 32. She worked with George Cohen, William Gillette, right? Yes. Yeah. Robert Cummings, that's a familiar name. Dorothy Gish, Hugh Sinclair, Henry Travers, and Lorette, Lorette Taylor. Yeah. Her longest running play was in 27, and it was Tommy, in which she starred with Sidney Toller, ran for 232 performances, and became the play for which she was most remembered. Um, if you guys recognize, well, to go right back around to Hitchcock, Robert Cummings was in Dial M for Murder. Which is another one of my favorite Robert Hitchcock. I think that's Robert Hitchcock, I, Alfred Hitchcock movies. Robert like, Cummings, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, that Alfred Cummings, is a, Robert Hitchcock. Blah, blah, blah. Got it. <laughs> In April twenty-seven. Whoa, that <laughs> April twenty-seventh is my birthday, so that just automatically <laughs> came like, out. <laughs> got it. In April of twenty-seven, Entwistle married Robert Keith at the Chapel of New York City Clerk's Office. She was granted a divorce in May of nineteen twenty-nine, along with the charges. of there was a period there. She was granted in divorce, a divorce in May of 1929. Along with charges of cruelty, she claimed her husband did not tell her he had been married before and was the father of a six-year-old boy, Brian, who later became an actor. Funny, well, not really funny story, but kind of an interesting parallel. So Brian Keith was in the original The Parent Trap back in 1961. When he was 75 years old, he was diagnosed with cancer and committed suicide by a gunshot wound to the head. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, it's kind of crazy. Like you see that Peg killed herself. And even though she really didn't know Brian, uh, Robert basically, like, he was an older actor who she looked up to, and he sort of all-encompassed her career, and then later sort of forced her into marrying him so he could take even more control of her career. And I don't remember hearing a lot of reports about physical abuse. Could have very well been. Um, but very mentally abusive, verbally abusive, would do it publicly. Um, I read somewhere about backstage, literally right before she was getting ready to go on stage, he just berated her, had her in tears, and she was able to wipe those tears away and go out on that stage and give an incredible performance and act as if nothing had happened. All the while, he completely hid behind her back that he had a six-year-old child and that he was previously married. Like, she had absolutely no idea, uh, almost until the very end. And she just... I couldn't imagine going through something like that at such a young... At such a really, really, really young age where you think you love this guy. I mean, she was 20 years old. twenty, Barely 21 years old when she divorced him. Shit. And he had had a whole wife and six-year-old kid before that time that she didn't know anything about. Yeah, that guy was a piece of shit. Understatement. Understatement of the century. (laughs) Understatement of the decade. We just started a new decade. (laughs) I love it. The play The Uninvited Guest closed after only seven performances in September of 27. 
However, the New York Times critic Jay Brooks Atkinson wrote, Peg and Twistle gave a performance considerably better than the play warranted. What makes me really sad is that she gets so much love from these people and she's an inspiration to someone huge. Like, you knew she was a good... She would she would have made it big. Like she was a damn good actress. She would have yeah. made it big. She went on tour with the Theater Guild between Broadway productions, changing characters every week, and Twistle garnered some publicity, such as an article in the Sunday edition of the New York Times in 27, and another in the Oakland Tribune two years later. Aside from a part in the suspense drama Sherlock Holmes and the strange case of Miss Faulkner, and her desire to play more challenging roles, and Twistle was often cast as a comedian. Most often the attractive, good-hearted... I'm going to fuck that word up. Ingenue. Thank you. <laughs> so it's usually a young woman that plays a very endearing, innocent character. Okay. In 1929, she told a reporter, I would rather play roles that carry conviction. Maybe it is because they are the easiest and yet the hardest things for me to do. To play any kind of emotional scene, I must work up to a certain pitch. If I reach this in my first word... The rest of the words and lines take care of themselves, but if I fail, I have to build out the balance of the speeches, and in doing this, the whole characterization falls flat. I feel I am cheating myself, and I don't know whether other actresses get the same reaction or not, but it does worry me. In early 1932, Entwistle made her last Broadway appearance in J.M. Barry's Alice Sit by the Fire, which was uh, also starred Lorette Taylor, whose alcoholism led to two missed evenings performances and refunds to ticket holders. The show was canceled, and in the aftermath, Entwistle and the other players were given only a week's salary, rather than a percentage of the box office gross, which had been agreed upon before the show opened. Wow, that sucks. Yeah. I always thought about that, though. You know, being an actress, when you do certain scenes, what place you have to go to to get... Because I can't, I can't cry on cue. I can't. I can't do it. But I'm like... If you gave me, like, a certain part of a movie that always makes me cry or, like, told me something terribly sad, I could get there. Yeah, I gotta build up to that point, but I couldn't just, like, boom, and go. Like, right? You know? Like, I wouldn't be like, ha, 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 and then they'd be like, action, and I'd be like, ah. Like, no, I can't. I can't do that. I also think it's interesting in this time that when she decided that she wanted to take on... I, I just think that's interesting, and I think maybe a lot of it did have to do with her look and how young she was, that she was typically cast as this sort of comedic, young, innocent, uh, girlish sort of character when she was wanting to take on more serious roles. Like, even then, it was harder for a woman to be taken seriously if you were young or looked young you were immediately typecast in roles and perceived as being something that you're not and not being able to take on more quote-unquote difficult parts that uh she felt she could do you know she could have been a jennifer lawrence back in the day it sounds like she was, I mean, you got to think a lot of that, a lot of that came from probably, you know, a lot of life experience. She had to mature a lot faster than a lot of people her age. I mean, lost her mother young, lost her father young, was pretty much on her own by 17 and then just launched herself right into this career 
that she wanted, that she kind of, that she basically grew up with too, because she was back and forth between New York and Cincinnati with her dad and saw her dad in plays. So she was familiar with the work and the lifestyle, but really thrust herself in. I mean, at 17 was like, boom. Let's go. Right into Boston, New York, and then after 21, 22, right into Hollywood. So, yeah, I mean, all in a very short span of time, trying to really break into this break into this career that she had, that she obviously had a passion for and used a lot of life experience behind that. So I think that had a big part to do with it too. Oh yeah, I'm sure. That's why I just think it's funny you bring up Jennifer Lawrence because as young as she is, you can tell that she's a lot more mature because she's able to bring a lot of that to the screen. So I think of that in the same way as Peg, where she's, she was able to do a lot of the same thing. And if she was able to do what Jennifer Lawrence was able to do at 17, because she did the poker house at 17, right. and that was a very, very hard role. I'm, I have no doubt. Well, Hamlet. I mean, she was in a Broadway play at right? Hamlet at 17. I feel like so Broadway like... plays are harder, because you don't get chances. Nope. It's live. It's live. live. You gotta do it. <laughs> there's no, there's no, you fuck up your line, cut, and then you gotta, you know, take time and rerun your line, and then redo you can it. run it back through again. Like, no, you know, you don't no. There is no cut or anything when you're live. Do or do not. On, there is no try. Like, you better know your lines and you better have it right. And not only do you have to do it once, you could have three run nights. You could do Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, a three run night of a Broadway play, and you gotta and you could do two shows all three nights. So you're doing five shows of the same fucking thing. And you got to nail it every <laughs> fucking time. And I mean, from lines to costume change to set to just everything. So, yeah. Oh, good. I'm telling you right now. I think that that is still one of the most underrated things is Broadway. And yep. even mainstream actors get it. The fact that mainstream mainstream actors should get a lot of praise when they jump from doing that into doing Broadway. Because it's a totally different. It's... It is not one and the same. No. It's no. really not. So by May 1932, at the height of the Great Depression, Entwistle was in Los Angeles with a role in the Rom- Romney Brent play, The Mad Hope, starring Billy Burke, which ran from 20- May 23rd to June 4th at the Belasco Theater in downtown Los Angeles. Florence, Flo Lawrence, theater critic for the Los Angeles Examiner, gave the production a very favorable re- review. Belasco and Curran have staged the new play most effectively and have endowed this Romney-Brent opus with every direction of cast and direction. Producer Bella Blau Bella Blau has developed the comedy to its highest points. Costumes and settings are of delightful quality and every detail makes the production one entirely fit for its translation to the New York stage. In the cast, Peg and Twistle and Humphrey Bogart hold first place in supporting the star Billy Burke and give and both give fine serious performances. Miss Entwistle as the earnest young daughter, Geneva Hope, of a vague mother and presents a charming picture of youth. Well, everybody knows who Humphrey Bogart is. I mean Casablanca. Yeah. And uh, if the name Billy Burke doesn't come to mind to a lot of people, you may best know her as Glinda the Good Witch in the Wizard of Oz. That's who Billy Burke was. I knew that name. So, I knew it. I knew it. Wow. I seen it. She, whew, 
she starred with some, that's, those are some big names for that time. I mean, Inspire Betty Davis, Humphrey Bogart, and uh, Billy, Billy Burke, because she, that was 1939 that she did Wizard of Oz, so that was just seven years after she did this play. That just sucks, man. She had no idea. She had no idea what she was really, her life was would have really been like, because I, I feel like, I truthfully feel like she ended it right before she would have made it. Like, really made it. Yeah. After the Mad Hopes closed, Entwistle found her first and only credited film role for radio pictures, later RKO. 13 Women stars Myrna Loy, Irene Dune, in a pre-Haze Code, high-budget thriller produced by David Selznick and drawn from the novel by Tiffany Thayer. Entwistle played a small supporting role as Hazel Cousins, who premiered on October 14th of 1932, a month after her death at the Roxy Theater in New York City, and was released in Los Angeles on November 11th, why I could not read that, <laughs> to neither critical nor commercial success. By the time it was re-released in 1935, 14 minutes had been cut from the film's original 73-minute running length. In 2008, Variety magazine called 13 Women as one of the earliest female ensemble films. Yeah, pre-Hayes Code uh, was actually sort of... Um, so Hayes was named after William Hayes which at the time was the president of the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America from 1922 to 1945. Um, so that company later became known as what we now more commonly know as the Motion Picture Association of America. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, they adopted the production code, which is what deemed what is acceptable and unacceptable content in motion pictures. So this was kind of in the early onset of the ratings code. So what William Hayes had, this was prior to what William Hayes had even before the Motion Picture Association of America. So this was right around the time when they were sort of starting to look at content in films and kind of the precursor to what we now have of a rating system of PG, PG 13 R and that, and so on and so forth. But, um, yeah, 13 women was essentially seen as one of the very first all female ensemble cast movies back in that time. Um, it actually had 11 women in the film instead of 13, there happened to be two characters that were edited out in that 14, minute process that was edited in the film um but it was actually considered a uh it's actually considered a slasher film for its time it's a psychological thriller so uh the plot summary of the movie is it's about 13 women who are all sorority sisters and uh there's a killer in the mixed, so... So, Black Christmas? I'm like, huh, I know. In the 1930s, of all things, I'm just like, that's that's crazy. Like, to have, to have a movie like that back then. And I think that's why the movie kind of had tones to it even then, because it was women, it was kind of considered a slasher, so Every there were, like, parts in it that were... Is lemons i'm sorry you said women i was like lemons <laughs> that was a really really dumb comparison 
I was gonna say, I was like, is I'm, I'm looking here to see even who the killer is in this movie. Spoiler alert! Yeah, no, right. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Mm. I'm like reading the plot summary, and I'm like, wow, this movie was scandalous as fuck for the 1930s. Somebody tried to kill a kid and everything. I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> man, fuck that kid. This is like way right. <laughs> I'm like, half this shit you couldn't get away with now. I'm like, there's just people with just, they're too much, too much ratings. Too much also, of a... can we fucking talk about the fact that so many other um, countries can get away with so much shit that America can't? Especially horror. Especially horror. Especially. That's why y'all need to open up your minds to some subtitles because let me tell you something, Japan knows what the fuck they're doing. And also, excuse me, also, France. Let me tell you something, French horror is aggressive as fuck. You got Japan who's scary, mostly Korean as well. And then you've got French who's fucking martyrs. Martyrs alone. Like just. God. Ooh, I've seen Martyrs one time and That was enough. Yeah, that was kind of one of those. Okay, I'm I'm good. I'm I don't know what the fuck just happened. This. But I think I think a lot of it does, you know, we especially here in America need to open ourselves up to different ideas when it comes to horror and coming up with more original ideas and I think a lot of that would be you could take a slasher and make it an all-female cast but not make it kitschy or aggressive or, i want you know a could, female serial killer like i mean you have them but which i just honestly one... the direction i thought they were gonna go with the newer black christmas which i kind of wish they would have yeah i do too i mean i see where they were going with that movie but it was a little but i was <laughs> like You've got Freddy, Chucky, and I, I love these guys. Don't get me wrong. I love them. I love Pennywise. I love Freddy. I love Chucky. I love Jason. I love Michael. I love all of the OG slashers. But I'm like, where the la- where my ladies? Where my, where my ladies at? What was that trailer, though, of that one that we saw where that chick, it was basically like a revenge oh, type, type movie? But she was basically a serial killer. Like oh, she would act um, like she was all drunk, and then these guys would take her home, and she's yeah. like, "Hmm." And I'm like, "Hmm." But I want one that's. I think I like this. But I want one that's <laughs> gonna have like ten movies. I know. Like I want yeah. a real female character who's just carried we need a, on. We need, a, we need a. Don't give me another fucking final girl. Make the final girl, quote unquote. The killer, yeah, we the need whole a, time. A Nightmare on Elm Street, a Friday the Thirteenth, a Halloween. We need a series, but it's a female, female killer, like yeah. American Mary. Listen, make that a fucking series because I would watch the hell out of that. <laughs> yeah, because I was bumped. Spoiler alert: that she died at the end because that could have really look. And if y'all haven't seen it, oh, she died. Look, the fucking movie. Okay, okay, okay. Just stop. All right, she died at the. Fucking I actually kind of told everybody that in my post today. Um, my, right, my women so of horror was if drop it's dead been over gorgeous. Five years, fuck you. It's it's out. There. I kind of told it's you the ending there. by being drop dead gorgeous. I was like, she's also drop dead gorgeous. I was really dead. hoping that if she wouldn't have died, they could have 
Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't spend like any money on that film. Mm-hmm. They really she didn't. Really I think Catherine Isabel did that for free. She could have been a female. I really do. Damn. But so hey, do what Paranormal Activity did. <laughs> Release an alternate ending <laughs> that keeps her alive, <laughs> and then just continue oh, it. Because she basically, we, we, we sort of got a female serial killer in Paranormal Activity with Katie. Kind of. But it wasn't sort her. Of, but it she wasn't was possessed. Her. She got a demon. Damn it. It's well, not the same. Yeah, not really. I want a fucking female to just yeah. go ham on everybody and yeah. just... Because you got tragedy girls. They're serial killers. I love it. But I'm like... Make this a series. Yeah. <laughs> like, I need I need series of I the feel like when they, I feel like when they do that, where they have a woman as the killer, then they always kill her at the end. Ah. They always kill her at the end. Well, she gets caught or this or that. No. <laughs> Say the motherfucking alive. Like, no. No. Like, I love the final girl concept. I love it. I love it to death. But I'm like, I really want to see a girl just go ham. Yeah, I think we're I don't want to see that. a revenge film. No. I literally just want this girl to go fucking crazy and Abs- just start killing people. Yep. And I think we can... Literally can Harley Quinn. I want to see... I don't want to see Harley Quinn doing it because we, we've got that. But I want to see a woman that just loses her fucking mind and just kills people. I love it. Now going from... We're like going off the rails. To... No. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Yeah, because we try. Like we said, guys, this is this was a heavy. This gets into some heavy fucking talk. So this is why we wanted to. Uh, you know, we like to keep it light. We like to lighten it up a little bit. Um, I'll let you go into this part, and then I'll read the sightings. So this is, and this is a heavy part. Too. Yeah, this is where. Yeah, this is where it gets into the heavy part. Um, so after all of this you know, commercial excess and, and, you know, starring in these plays with some really, you know, influential names around that time. Um, even, even up until this point by, uh, September of 1932 and specifically on September 18th of 1932, um, a woman was hiking below the Hollywood land sign now remember at the time i said it actually said hollywood land back in back in this time as a promotion for the hollywood hills uh when she found a woman's shoe purse and jacket that unbeknownst to her belonged to aunt whistle she opened the purse and found a suicide note after which she looked down the mountain and saw the body below the woman reported her findings to the la police and laid the items on the steps of the hollywood police station um, so it's believed that it was actually on September 16th that she jumped. Uh, it was just, like I said, Griffith Park is a really popular area, so it just happened to be the morning of the 18th that this woman was walking by and uh, found all of her belongings and then looked down and found the body. Later, a detective and two radio car officers found the body in a ravine below the sign. Entwistle remained unidentified until her uncle, with whom she had been living in the Beechwood Canyon area, identified her remains. He connected her two-day absence with the description and the initials P.E. written on the suicide note, which had been published in the newspapers. 
He said that on Friday, uh, the 16th of September, she had told him she was going for a walk to a drugstore and to see some friends. The police surmise that instead she made her way to the nearby southern slope of Mount Lee to the foot of the Hollywood sign, climbed a workman's ladder to the top of the H, and jumped. So this is a, uh, Mount Lee is a peak uh, located at the top of um, where the Hollywood sign is. And it's just on the southern slope of this peak. And then from there, it just drops down into a ravine. Um, her cause of death was listed as multiple fractures to her pelvis. I can't even imagine what a fall like that would do. I mean, that's, that's, like I said, that's commitment. Like, you know that once you make this jump, that's it. Like, you're not, there's, there's no coming back from this. Like, even if you happen to live. You're going to, you're critically injured. Yeah, you're going to be paralyzed for damn near your entire life. Like, that's it. Um, so the entirety of her suicide note that was published read, and this is quote from Peg herself, I am afraid and I am a coward. I am sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, it would have saved a lot of pain. P.E. That just gets me every time to read that, that somebody at 24 years old was going through so much pain that probably few, if any, knew anything about. I mean, you lose your mother as a young baby. You lose your father at 15. 17, you start your own career. 20, you marry this asshole guy that was abusive. By 21... You've divorced him. Now you live in Hollywood. You're trying to make a career. You're in a few plays by 23. You're in your first major picture. And then the movie wasn't a commercial success at the time. A lot of it got cut. Big parts of your part in the movie got cut. And by at that moment, you just feel like you're a complete and total failure. Like you're just completely ready to give up at that point. But... You know, people speculated a lot at the time that it was due to the film, 13 Women, as to why she killed herself. But I think she was struggling with so much more than that. And that's why I wanted to get more into her history and about her family, that she she didn't really have a family. I and feel I, like it was years that worked up to this point. Yeah. It wasn't just this one film. No. It wasn't just this. No. It was... So many years of so much pain and not dealing with it and not getting help and just really just getting depressed. And with everything in her past, it makes sense. It really does. And I just, I just hate that she saw it that way. She didn't see a way out. I hate that for anybody that sees that, honestly. That's, that speaks for anybody. Yeah, that just feels like in that moment that things are so bad, that they're so bad that that this is it. That, like... It can't get any better. It can't get any better than this. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're also speaking in a totally different time, too, guys. Right. Like, this is a time during the Great Depression. This is a time, you know... Things where, were bad all around. Yeah, just all the way around. People were struggling financially. You know, that took a mental toll. Um, so just, and then all encompassed what Peg went through in her early life that, 
you know, there was no grief counseling. There was no therapy. There was no, there was none of that. You just did what you had to do. And that's what she did. And that's all she had. And so, you know, that was it. She probably felt like in a way too, she lost control of a lot. And I think that marriage meant a lot to her. You know, when she married Robert Keith, that, that meant a lot to her in that moment, you know, that was, that was a really, for her, that was a really important marriage. She was supposed to be somebody that was going to take care of her, that was going to be there for her. And, uh, you know, I mean, he actually like, he, his marriage to his second wife, where he had his son, Brian actually overlapped to his marriage with Peg. Um, he married her in 1927. Uh, well, actually, yeah, it almost overlapped because he divorced his second wife in 1926, but then married Peg in 1927, just a year after. And she was 10 years younger than him. And then two years later, uh, when she's only 21 years old, she said that he was uh, abusive. That's what she said, cited abuse and domestic cruelty. And, uh, yeah, I mean, 10 years older, totally controlling, lied about, lied about his first two wives, lied about a kid. I think to her, she saw a father figure and she saw somebody that she thought was going to take care of her, that she trusted, that was an actor himself, that was going to guide her, that was going to take care of her. And he completely lied her and lied to her and hurt her. And I think, I think that played a role, um, yeah, I think to chalk it all up as just having to do with a failed movie was just maybe an excuse at that time because people didn't know how to deal with things like that. People didn't know how to uh, categorize pain. Yeah, categorize grief, basically. pain, depression. You know, nobody knew what any of what any of that was or what any of that any of that meant at the time. So. So basically after the suicide, um, her death was, uh, sensationalized. Um, again, uh, one of the, one of the biggest, one of the, the LA times two days after her body was found, published a huge article that said suicide laid to film jinx, even though that had nothing to do with it. But that was the big two days after her body was found. That was the huge headline, the L.A. Times. So um, her funeral was held in Hollywood at the W.M. Strathers Mortuary on September 20th. Her body was cremated and then her ashes were sent to uh, Glendale, Ohio, which is where Oak Hill Cemetery is located. And she is buried next to her father. Um, that was the following year in 1933, that January. So that is where her ashes are laid to this day. Um, in 2014, roughly a hundred people marked the anniversary of Entwistle's death by gathering in the parking lot of Beachwood Market in Hollywood to watch 13 women on an outdoor screen. Proceeds from a raffle and food and beverages sold at the screening were donated to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention in and whistle's name which i thought was really that's really cool because i mean it's still something that 
gets to a lot of people to this day. There's still so many people that are affected by suicide to this day. And, and, uh, to think, you know, like I said, if at this time people understood at her time, people would have understood it more, you know, maybe she would have been able to get help and dealing with depression or whatever type of grief she was dealing with at that time that could have helped her focus more on her movie career. Cause obviously she was a really promising actress that had the chops that had, she, she had it to make it. There were just a lot of other underlying things, which, like I said, going into her history, were pretty understandable that she dealt with a lot of psychological issues. And that if she was able to get help and deal with those issues, that ultimately she would have, it would have led her into a really happy life, a really wonderful actress, and just so much more, so much more. Um, so, um, something, something real quick I wanted to mention about her, um, grave site specifically. So up until 2010, there was actually no marker on her grave site. Um, there was a campaign that was started on Facebook on the 78th anniversary of her death by a local woman, um, that decided to raise enough money to give her, uh, through donations, were able to give a stone marker for her and her father, uh, to have a headstone. So you got to think from the time her body was put there in 19, 1933 to, oh to 2010, there was no headstone marker. That's insane to me. I mean, and all these people in California knew that story. Sightings have been going on for years, which Casper will get into. Sightings have been going on for years of seeing her spirit in and around that area that nobody knew that she was buried here and there was no marker on her grave and I just thought man and you know I just I, I just want to say the woman the woman's name was Lisa Cinco and just God bless her God bless that woman for taking up taking it up uh on herself to get fans and people involved to donate enough money to be able to not only give her but also her father a respectful gravestone and that's why I make it a point of placing flowers when I can because um I think she was very important and I think that people should know who she is and people should appreciate who she is and I hope in death she uh realizes how important she was and how much uh she's missed and how much she meant to a lot of people and how she uh was a huge inspiration to one of the biggest actresses of our time and um there's also rumored that she in the she was supposed to get now I don't know some people have said this is true. Some people have said this isn't true. But the story goes that she was offered a movie 
not long after she committed suicide where she was it was supposed to be a movie about a woman that commits suicide fuck that was the that was the movie that she was offered well, yeah what did the movie ever get made no no i mean i don't i don't know i don't even know what the movie was called oh. but it was a movie in the making and she was offered the part and the part in the movie was about a woman who was who committed suicide so wow. i don't know if the movie was ever made or what it was called or anything to that knowledge but uh that's terrible yeah her, um her character in 13 women though was named hazel cousins and she murdered her husband with knife kind of awesome like you do it's probably what she wanted to do to her ex-husband <laughs> saying like you do like no. you do <laughs> <laughs> she was like i can't do it in real life so i'm gonna do it on screen mm-hmm. <laughs> so um method acting. Seriously? That's the shit I would do. I'd be like, well, I can't do this fuckery in real life, so I'll do it on screen. (laughs) Um, So I found a really cool site that actually has a lot of sightings that people have seen her at the the, uh, Hollywood site. Um, It's called... really cool. I couldn't believe how many sightings i searched for this bitch let me tell you this is a real this is a really awesome um, website especially because we were doing haunted location i'm like i want to actually find hauntings like i love the story but i'm like i also want to you know see what people have seen um it's called liveabout.com and the name of the article is the ghost of the hollywood sign it's by stephen wagner so let me get into some of the sh- the shinings, the, the shining, the shining. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Speaking of a Hollywood legend, right? I know, right? The Hollywood sign stands atop Mount Lee, Mount Lee, and Griffin Park. Griff- and that's you're all, like, folks. You're like I'm gonna start this whole. <laughs> The Hollywood sign stands atop Mount Lee in Griffith Park, just west of the Los Angeles suburb of Glendale. You know, I don't think I knew that there was a suburb of Glendale, considering yeah, Glendale. that she's buried in Glendale. What the fuck? Yep. Y'all shook? Because I'm shook. Yeah, her brother, one of her brothers is buried in Glendale, California, and she's buried in Glendale, Ohio. So, yeah, there's a suburb. So, Glendale, Ohio is a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio, and Glendale, California is a suburb of Los Angeles. <laughs> Just had to be like L.A. Never been to L.A., but know a lot about L.A. So, yeah. <laughs> Over the years, park rangers have reported seeing a pretty blonde woman dressed in 1930s clothing wandering the park's paths. She's described as looking sad, and when she is approached, she vanishes. A couple walking their dog along the Beechwood Canyon Trail of the park, their dog began to behave strangely, whimpering and cowering behind them. Suddenly, a woman in out-of-date clothing appeared on the trail in front of them, appearing dazed or confused. She vanished before their eyes. Listen, dogs know what's up. Mm-hmm. Every time. John Arbogast, a park ranger, claims to have seen Peg's ghost on several occasions. He says the most often appears late at night when conditions are foggy, and she is often co- accompanied by the strong scent of gardenias, said to be Peg's favorite fragrance. Devin Morgan, a resident of Beechwood Canyon, also can verify the gardenia connection. One afternoon, she was taking an exercise hike up the trail near the sign. As she made her way around one of the switchbacks, she noticed the figure of a woman on another part of the trail. She looked very strange to me, Morgan said. She had a very etheric equality. 
equality. What? She had a very etheric quality you instead see, of etheric. Whatever. <laughs> it's okay. It does not say etheric. You're I like, can't blah, blah, blah. read. I can't read. Instead of walking, she seemed to almost glide. Gliding here. <laughs> she. <laughs> if you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. She wasn't floating. She didn't look like she was a ghost, but there was just something very strange about her and very soft looking. Morgan attempted to catch up with this woman, but she had vanished, and the only thing in her place was the intense scent of gardenias. Most recently, four friends encountered the ghost, a story that was actually featured on Sci-Fi's Paranormal Witness. Oh my god, I fucking love that show! Me too. The friends, Tina, Elaine, Brian, and Al, after a game at Dodger Stadium, decided to go touch the famous Hollywood sign. Although the area is off-limits... To trespassers, they jumped the fence and headed up. On their way back down, Brian slipped and fell part of the way down the hill. As he began to make his way back towards the others, he saw someone was on the path walking towards him. It was the woman. It was a woman wearing a dress similar to the style of the 1930s, according to the sci-fi story. She wore heels and a veil over her face. She walked effortlessly up the hill, and her footsteps, footsteps, her footsteps made no sound. It was only later that they read about the story of Peg and Twizzle. Um, oh, yeah. So this was the part. Uh, so it says, very soon after Peg and Twizzle's death, a letter arrived at her house from yeah. the Hollywood Playhouse offering her a part in a play and the role was of a woman who commits suicide. Yep. Yeah. Um, another thing that's been reported around that area, too, at night especially, is orbs. People see a lot of orbs in that area. A lot. Um, I feel like Hollywood is really haunted, though. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not just the sign. I just feel like the entire just area is just covered in them. Well, you know, there's another... And, and just... Uh, a lot of... I think a lot of it just... A lot of murders, a lot of unsolved murders a lot of um suicides a lot of things i mean you take into account this suicide uh the black dahlia murder um oh, i can't wait to do one of that one george george reeves yeah who was the original superman um there was a movie that ben affleck was in called hollywood land and uh it's always been rumored that george reeves actually didn't kill himself that it was actually a murder and that movie sets it up uh, to where there's a, a reporter in the movie that sort of sets it up to make it look like the story could have very well ended that way. That it very well could have been a suit because it was something really screwed up in the way that he was. Fat. It was like two gun. It was like two gunshots, and it's like who shoots himself twice in the head. It was one of those kind of things where it was like really strange. Um, so I just think. There's been, there's just so much mystery around Hollywood itself that... Not to mention the actual shit that goes on in Hollywood. Just all of it. All of it encompassed that I, I just, I wouldn't doubt that many, many, many areas in and around Hollywood, especially around this area, would be, would be haunted. Um, one other thing real quick. I would not recommend hiking in Griffith Park at night. Not because of ghosts, but because of fucking cougars. There are 
I'm just letting you guys know, if you don't know anything about that area, there are a lot of wildcats. There's a lot of wildcats. There's been wildcat sightings, huge ones, giant ones. Stay away from them. Yeah, so... They're mean. So, I would rather take on a ghost than a fucking wildcat any day. So, I'm not talking yeah. about ghosts don't go around there at night. Don't go around there at night because a fucking cougar might eat your ass. So, like, that's all I'm saying. That thinking. is a problem. That is a total... Po- that is a real life possibility. That is a problem. Of something that could actually <laughs> happen. So, just a little word of advice out there for anybody that's planning on visiting and you want to do a little you know pseudo ghost there hunting are so and... many places you can ghost <sighs> hunt you don't have to go to the hollywood sign yeah let's not there's so many places i'd say every single motherfucking building in la is haunted to be you're either gonna get you. into an you're either gonna get into an accident you're gonna get a, or you're gonna get arrested or your butt's going to get eaten by a fucking wildcat. So it's, it's just not like, a good time. It's just like none of those. Like you're just going to straight up not have are a good time. a good idea. Um, personally too, on another note, I feel like at the time that I went to her gravesite, I felt a really strong presence of her being there. And I felt a strong presence both times that I've been to her gravesite. And I feel like what a lot of people may have encountered and are continuing to encounter in that area, if there's sightings of her, is maybe what they call, like, it's been known to... It's a residual been, haunting? A residual or, like, an echo effect that they call it, where um, because her death was so tragic that you're just kind of seeing a repeat of what's happening, that I don't think her actual spirit is there i think um (coughs) excuse me i think being laid to rest next to her dad and that only familial connection that she had because you know i mean as a single father he could have very well i mean he was active in her life and he died when she was so young that You know, you didn't see it a lot to have fathers take on a responsibility like that after the mother dies so young. Usually these kids are sent to orphanages or group homes, but he requested that, you know, his daughter be with him. And he took it upon himself to make sure that he take that he took care of her. And I think being with her father, she is finally laid to rest. And I think I feel a sense of peace at her gravesite. I think a lot of what people are seeing at the Hollywood sign is just a residual because of how tragic. Well, as soon as you said was. that, as soon as you said that you felt her there, I got chills all over my body. No joke, it just happened because I was getting ready to ask you if you had felt yeah. her there <clears throat> when you were there. So, I feel very sad. Um I and I don't I don't think that's so much her. I think that's more me. I feel very very sad at her gravesite. I felt that both times that I've been there, and I just think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that oh my god, twenty four is so young. Mm-hmm. It's so young. I mean, I can't even. I mean, thirty five young for God's sake, but just twenty five is so. 
Oh my God. I mean, I just think in the scheme of life and experience that you have so much more left at 24. I'm 26. I just couldn't see what I mean. I just, I, 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 oh. I just, I try to go through my head like, I just talked to her and like, what were you, what was so bad? What was so bad in that moment that when you're more than 50 feet up in the air, you're like, this is it. This is, this is it. This is how it's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm doing, you know? And, uh, but yeah, I think she's at peace. I felt, I think I got sad because of that feeling, but she's at peace. She's with her dad. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I felt a real sense of peace with her there at That's her good, gravesite. Though. That's really good. And it made me feel good. Yeah. And like I said, uh, I, I'm glad there's a grave marker there. I hope more people, uh, look, if you're going to visit the Hollywood sign to encounter her spirit, maybe think about taking a visit to Oak Hill Cemetery and visiting her gravesite. Because I think it's important to not only know the story, but give respect to her and her name. Um, you know, I even talked to the, the people that are the curators of that uh, cemetery, just to throw this out there. Uh, I spoke to one of the docent. A docent is basically a historian for cemeteries. They, you know, kind of study the history. And... Um, they didn't even know. I spoke to three different people in that office when I originally was looking for her gravesite three years ago, and they didn't even know wow. about her. They were like, are you related to her? I was like, actually, no, I've <laughs> never met her. And I told them the story. Uh, they didn't know anything about it. They had no idea. They were like, whoa, she's buried here? And I'm like, yeah, she is. Like, they didn't They didn't have any... So that's what I'm saying. Like, I this... This podcast felt so important for me to do because I don't think a lot of people know about this history. You shook me. Yeah. When you told me, you're like, she's buried right over there. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Past the cemetery I've driven by, I, I can't even tell you how many countless times in my lifetime and had no idea that she's been buried there this whole time since the 1930s. Had no clue. And I still don't think a lot of people do know. That's why this was so important for us to do. And just so, just for it to happen um, on her birthday, happy birthday, Peg. Um, Yay, I hope birthday. we, I hope we did you justice. I'm glad you're at peace, finally. And um, just a little side note to anybody else out there that has ever struggled with depression, um, that has ever, ever given a thought to giving it all up. It's too hard. I can't do it. Um, please call the suicide prevention hotline. Please get help. Um, you can text the number, uh, you can go on the website. I'm getting um, it. you know, it is, uh, I have struggled with it. It is, uh, we've all struggled with mental health. Um, and I know we don't talk about that. We, we try to talk that about that on here. We try to not be uber personal about our lives, but a little bit when it comes to things like this, because I feel like everybody struggles with this. 
Um, well, not everybody, but a lot of people struggle with stress. A lot of people struggle with depression and a lot of people that depression can lead into something very, very, very dark. And look, just if you got up today and put pants on, I'm proud of you. If you got up today and walked out and took your garbage out, I'm proud of you. If you just woke up today, I'm proud of you preach it that is you know what I mean like when you live in depression and mental illness literally just waking up and making that first step out of bed should be the pride of your fucking day because that in itself is huge it's huge so if you are feeling this way um there there is an online chat if you google Suicide Hotline, there's an online chat, but if you want to talk to somebody, it is free. Do not worry about money at all. It's 1-800-273-8255, and they are always available. Guys, and they will actually give you links to finding mental health in your city or state here in the U.S. Um, There are options if you don't have insurance. Um, You can go to your local hospitals. Um, There are therapists and psychologists and social workers that are doing internships that will see patients. There are ones that will go on a uh, income basis and give you a sliding scale where it could be free or as cheap as 30 bucks to go to a therapist. Uh, Just reach out and talk to somebody. Nothing is ever that bad that you should think about taking, taking your own life. It is never that bad. I don't care what you did and I don't care who says what about you I don't care (laughs) it is never I've been through some shit it is never that bad ever it will always you think it is right now but it it isn't it will always when you get through over that hurdle and you get farther in life and I'm speaking I'm speaking from absolute I've been there. We both are. I've, I have <laughs> been, there. been there. <laughs> and you look back on that time in your life and you see where you are now and you're like, holy fuck. I would have missed out on all of this. Yeah. And you don't you don't want to miss out on what life has to offer. Because and someone out there loves you. Someone out there loves you. When you someone think you're alone, you. you're not. Someone out there is going through it just like you are, if not worse. And like I said, if you got out of bed this morning, I am proud of you. Be proud of yourself every day. Yes. Every day. <laughs> Do what makes you fucking happy and don't give a fuck what anybody else thinks. <sighs> every day. That's a big one. <laughs> That's a big thing people got to learn. Every stop giving a day. fuck. Just stop. What people think about Just you. Stop. Just stop. Stop. Easier said than done, we know. <laughs> stop. Stop it. Just fucking stop it. I think I just spit all over everything. <laughs> and I just died. Okay. I'm making Becky choke. You did that and I was like, my throat. I'm losing air. Losing my sight. Losing my mind. Oh my God, no. <laughs> I was like, oh my Becky God. is broken. 
So guys, on a very happy, happy, Yay. happy, happy, happy note. Happy note. We have a big surprise. We have a new guest that will be coming on the podcast next I know, week. our first guest of 2020. I'm excited. I love when we have guests. I know. So he has a new movie coming out this month, actually. That has the wonderful Chad Michael Murray in it. And I'm over here screaming One Tree Hill because One Tree Hill. And uh, Danielle Harris. And if none of you, like, okay. Horror fans know that name. You should know that name. I'm obsessed with Danielle Harris. I've met her twice and I would meet her every time. (laughs) Was he, was Chad in um, House of Wax? Yes. Was that him? Yes, that was him. He's also in A Cinderella Story and five billion other things. Yes, he is. Oh um, so we're not having Chad on. <laughs> no, <laughs> let no. me be, let me be clear. No. Uh, his name is Andy Palmer. He is a director. He is one of the sweetest people I've ever met. I met him at Horror Hound a couple years ago. He directed a film called Funhouse Massacre. That might sound familiar to a lot of you. Um, Robert England is actually in that movie and it was filmed at Land of Illusion, which is here. Awesome as fuck. So, um, he is actually going to be on the podcast next week. He has the new movie coming out, and he did Funhouse Massacre. He did a couple other movies. Uh, Badlands of Cain, Alien Strain, Find Me, and then this new one is called Camp Cold Brook. And he's got some other uh, projects coming out. So, we're really fucking excited. (coughs) I'm sorry. (coughs) To have Andy on, because not only is he a sweetheart, he's a good director. Very good director. Uh, love is love incredible is... director. <laughs> I'm dying. Okay. <laughs> I'm losing my. I'm just. Kidding. It always happens at the end, like where we start dying, and it's when we know, like, okay, it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> so excited though, God, I'm so yeah, excited. Yeah, I am. I am on. really, really excited. This is going to be an awesome podcast for sh- for show. Yes. Also, happy Women of Horror Month and happy Black History Month. Woo! Yes. Two amazing things landing in February. February that makes February the best month ever. Women of Horror and Black History. Can we just talk about that? Because it's it. great. <laughs> 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 okay, guys. Well, I just gagged on my hair. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Anyway, since I'm done gagging on my hair, so let's talk about a word from our sponsor. Calm your body. <laughs> Calm your body down. Oh my god. I'm so I'm I need water, clearly. <sighs> okay, I'm gonna try to make it through this. Um I have broken Becky oh is broken. Oh my god. Alright guys, so the white chocolate bath bombs are still available. And uh the rose water bath bombs are coming promise they will be here this weekend um i will have them posted this weekend everything um on the site free shipping five dollars for the bath bombs three dollars for the body creams um check out those body creams guys it has been so fucking dry this winter and i am just using up the fucking body creams because lotion is just not cutting it um but again the chocolate bath bombs are available um, our regular bath bombs are available. The oatmeal ones are still available and the rose ones are coming this weekend. And thanks again, guys, uh, for all of your support. Um, I know after Christmas is usually kind of a slow time for any sales, uh, but hopefully things start to pick up and, um, 
there's always going to be new stuff coming soon. Keep checking back. Everything is for sale on Etsy. Check out the Instagram page and the website. Um, and I promise next month I'll start adding some newer upcoming <laughs> things to the website as well. So <laughs> that was my two cents. That was perfect. <laughs> Calm your body down. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope it caught that. Oh, so there's a lot going amazing. on in my body. That was amazing. <laughs> I'm going through puberty. Oh my there's god, guys! So much happening. <sighs> I'm going through puberty finally. I'm 26 years old and it's happening. Finally, I know. <laughs> god. Anyway, so if you would like to give us a follow on social media, we have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please give us a follow. We post now. We're posting horror news and uh, memes. So make sure to catch those. By the way, the last one I posted about Silent Hill, I am so fucking excited because it's basically going to be the Silent Hill 2 that we all deserved, not the one that we got because it was really fucking weird. I liked it, but it was really fucking mm -hmm. weird. Um, and it's going to be the same director and uh, the main woman. What's her name? The main woman from Silent Hill. I can see her face. Anyway, she's supposed to come back. We are blanking on her name right now. Got it. Uh, she's yeah, supposed we'll, to come we'll back, that. and the director is supposed to come back, and I'm fucking stoked. Um, not really looking forward to the Crow remake. Um, I don't mm. think that needs to happen. I really don't. Um, oh, Rada Mitchell. Yep, that's her name. Yeah. She came to Horror Hound and in Indie last year. I'm really oh, sad I missed that. Damn. So um. Easy. So well, ever I missed ninety percent of people at Horror <laughs> Hound and in Indie last year. Good God, Patrick Wilson being number one on that list. I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about. But I did get a <laughs> shout out from. Uh, you did. Kate <laughs> Siegel. Anyway, thank we're you, done, guys. Got it. I was like, Kate. <laughs> so um also if you would like to give us an actual follow when we have new posts out please follow us on podbean Castbox, podcast player podcast addicts and spotify that way you know every time we put out a new podcast and it will be next wednesday you better come back or we're gonna find you <laughs> did you just make a bitch face <laughs> Okay, bye!